Well, thank you everyone for coming. Um, I tell you what, if you'd all like to, if you got your Bibles out today, you want to turn to um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. We're going to go ahead and read 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 real quick together. I'll go ahead and read it if you guys just want to follow along. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for... uh, the opportunity to stand up here and share your word. I ask that you, if there's someone out there who doesn't know you yet or who is questioning, that you will open their heart and their mind to be receptive of your word today. I pray that you will call them forward and you will just save them. I pray for the rest of us, you will, you will let us take your word today and apply it to our lives. To take it when we leave here, to not just listen, but be doers of the word, not just hearers. So thank you for all you've given us. In Christ's name, amen. A young Marine sits down somewhere in a far-off land under a starlit sky to write a letter home to his loved ones. He's preparing to go into battle. And he is almost positive that this time he will not be coming back. He can almost feel the outcome as he readies himself for what is about to take place. So he gathers his gear and lays it out before him. His emotions are high, and tears start to come to his eyes as they water. No, not in fear. He's ready to die, to give his life and sacrifice if need be, so that others might live. So no, not fear. Sadness. Not sadness for himself, but for those he will leave behind. As he picks up the pen and starts to write, he thinks of all the things he left unsaid. He thinks of all the things he would like to pass on before he goes. He sends home the most important letter of his life, and probably the most important letter of the life of the one who reads it. He lays out what he knows is the most important thing he can pass on to those he leaves behind. Dear folks, I'm writing this letter in the hope that after my death it will be forwarded to you. My purpose in writing this is twofold. First, that you may be assured that while we are temporarily separated, we know that we shall soon be joined together with Christ in the presence of God. As I write this, I am in very little danger, but who can tell what tomorrow may bring? We simply trust God to give us the victory in temporal things as well as spiritual matters. As I pass on, I wish to leave behind a testimony to the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that God may be glorified in my death more than he was in my life. Today, knowing that I may very soon be called to give an account of myself, I can say that I am trusting only in Jesus Christ who died as a sacrifice for my sins, that I might have eternal life. He paid the price with his own precious life, and by simple faith in him I am cleansed from all unrighteousness. I am now with Jesus, and all is well with my soul. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me shall never die. John eleven twenty five 25, and 26. 
My second purpose in writing this letter, Dad, is that you might make way of salvation clear to a friend to whom I have written a similar letter. Give the message as from me that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Say also that in him shall we meet again. Dry your tears, Mom. A son has been called home where he waits to be joined by the dearest parents a boy could have. Perhaps consolation may be found in knowing that when we shall again be together, it shall be even as he promised. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Revelation 21.4 My life and the lives of my buddies have not been given in vain. We have fought and died to maintain those God-given liberties with which we have been blessed. For now, just a little while, I would say goodbye, and God be with you till we meet again. Your loving son, Phil. Phil Welsher, 22, of the United States Marine Corps, breathed his last breath during World War II on November 22nd, under the stars of an alien sky somewhere in the South Pacific, while mother, dad, and his beloved home were far away, horror, violence, and devastation were all around him. Imagine, if you will, receiving a letter of this magnitude. As this young man sat and wrote this letter home to his parents, he entrusted them with certain tasks. I can only imagine reading this, and reading this, and reading this, again, and again, and again, if it were my son who wrote this letter. Or even if it were my father who wrote this letter, I would do whatever was necessary to honor his last request. Timothy received a similar letter while in Ephesus from Paul. Paul even referred to him as his beloved child in verse 2. So close a relationship they had with one another, Paul was sitting in a Roman prison and he knew this would probably be his last letter. He could almost feel the outcome. He was prepared to die so that others might live. And he wanted to make sure Timothy had a last letter of wisdom and guidance just in case. Today, we will be taking a look at 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. As we study this passage, please try to keep in mind the gravity of the situation and how urgent and important this letter was for Paul to write to Timothy and for Timothy to read. Paul is starting to summarize his letter to Timothy here in chapter 4. And he starts out by doing so by telling Timothy that he will one day stand before God and give account of how he spent the time and opportunity God gave him to share the gospel. In essence, Paul is telling Timothy, God will judge him for how faithfully he carried out his mission to preach the word. He even tells Timothy to stay focused on the goal like a soldier or an athlete and not to get caught up in civilian pursuits. He should not be worried about what anyone but the Lord thinks of his ministry because Christ will one day judge everyone. In addition, it is not by Paul's authority or under Paul's judgment that he will be held accountable. It is Christ's. His orders are coming down from above. The author of life and the ultimate judge of the living and the dead will be his judge and final authority on the day of his appearing. Although this letter is written with the emphasis on Timothy's role as a pastor and his call to faithful ministry, it can directly be applied to every believer's life 
as we are all called into our own service of the Lord. We are all called to the ministry in some way because we have all been called to share with others what Christ has given for us. Forgiveness. So often we worry about what others think or how we would be perceived if we mention the name of Jesus. Or worry causes us to ask the question, what will our family say? Or will they just stop talking to us altogether? And I know there are some here with us that have lost family members because they chose to remain faithful to the Lord. Or how about the question, what will my coworkers say if they know I'm a Christian? Again, I know there are some here with us who have lost a job because they remain faithful to Christ. Our worry and anxiety takes over when we sit to eat lunch in, a public, in public and we are ashamed to bow our heads and pray, even in silence, in fear of what others might think of us. I actually heard a story of a grandmother who took her granddaughter out to eat. When the food arrived at the table, the grandmother picked up her food and started to eat. The little girl looked up at her grandma and said, wait, we haven't prayed yet. So grandma looks around and then down at the little girl and says, okay, go ahead and pray. The little girl, unashamedly, starts to pray and just happened to be praying at a normal voice level when grandma looks up and literally tells the little girl not to pray so loud because others can hear her. Shh. Not so loud, sweetie. Others are trying to eat. As if the prayer would cause someone to have their meal interrupted or to render them unable to consume a single thing until she was done. Grandma wasn't worried about being polite to others around her. She was worried about what others around her would think of her. This grandmother had just told her granddaughter to be ashamed of the gospel. To keep quiet. And that she shouldn't offend anyone by praying. And here in verse 1 and 2, Paul is saying the exact opposite to Timothy. He's telling Timothy that if he does not preach the word, he will one day have to answer for his cowardly behavior. We do not have a choice but to preach the word. And if we have Christ living in us, we should not ever concern ourselves with who is listening or who can hear us when we do. Unless, of course, it is because we're trying to reach them for the gospel and we want to make sure they have, we have their full attention. He states this even more blatantly back in chapter 2, verses 11 and 13, when he says, If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. This should make us stop and pause. We are called to preach the word. If no one knows we're a Christian and no one knows we love Christ, we might want to re-examine ourselves to find out if it is because we're denying him and making a grave mistake. Our lives should reflect our Savior. Our actions should be preaching the word even when we are speaking. And we are to preach the word. We are not to preach our opinions. We're not to add to or take away from the text. I don't care what you think it means. I don't care how it makes you feel. We are not to be concerned with whether or not we offend someone. You are called to preach the word. This is a huge responsibility. Again, this is why Paul reminded Timothy, 
Who is accountable to when Christ appears? We don't have to worry about what to say or how to say it. We have the living word of God right here in our hands. All we have to do is read it. He has given us his spirit and the wise counsel of other believers to help us understand it. He tells Timothy to take what he has learned and pass it on to other faithful believers who will be able to teach others still. We are to seek wisdom and understanding from the Lord. We are to take his word and study it to find out what he meant through his word. This is what we are to preach to others. The only way to do that is to be in his word constantly and consistently. In verse 2, Paul continues to expound on what it means to preach the word faithfully. We are to be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, extort with complete patience and teaching. What does it mean to be ready in season and out of season? Is this a reference to Paul preaching the word during all four seasons of the year? No. This is a reference to preaching the word of God at all times. When we're tired, when we're weak, when we are joyful and when we are sad, when we're sick or when we're tired and when we're healthy and when we're well and full of energy, when we have pain and suffering, when we feel near to God and when we feel far off from the Lord. Because preaching the word doesn't depend on how you feel. It's a choice you make. It comes from a commitment to Christ. It comes from knowing that he gave his life to redeem you and you're willing to give everything for him in return. And not only do seasons reference our emotions and moods, but they also reference our readiness. Again, in chapter two, Paul describes how we are to train ourselves in the word, how we are to completely focus on the one who enlisted us. Chapter two, verses four. The phrase CVC Pesum Parabellum is translated, if you want peace, prepare for war. Meaning we must always be ready for the fight because we never know when it's going to come. This is what Paul is talking about. Train yourself daily in the word so you are prepared when the time comes. We are to continue in hard work and dedication to study in the word so that when the time comes and he presents us with an opportunity to preach the word, we'll be able to respond to that call. Present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We think back to the Marine who wrote that letter to his loved ones. It's time for him to gear up and move out. This time, when he puts on that uniform, it won't be accompanied by a handshake and a thank you. He won't be surrounded by the safety of only friends and family. He will be given a mission of clearing houses, one by one, looking for the enemy. He's getting ready to go into battle. It's the fifth night in a row. He's tired. He's hungry. He's sore and nervous. He's scared to the point he can't comprehend because he knows the risk he's taking. But he has been training for this moment day in and day out for months and even years now. It has become muscle memory for him. They walk up to the door and his staff sergeant looks at him and tells him he's taking the lead tonight. His mouth dries up instantly. His heart is pumping. His palms begin to sweat. He can't call out sick today. He can't phone it in. He is ready because he has trained and he will answer the call to serve. 
in season and out. This is the picture Paul is trying to convey to Timothy. I admit, sometimes you just don't feel like sharing the gospel any more than that Marine felt like going to war. But nonetheless, we ought to understand it is a war we are in on a daily basis. And the risk is an eternal one. You're overwhelmed with work or kids or school or home or even all of the above. You had a bad day. You had a bad week. Sometimes you might even feel like you've had a bad year. Then that coworker of yours walks into your office and breaks down in tears. Now, if you're like me and someone crying is likened to the plague, uh, <laughs> the first thing you might think is, where's the window so I can jump? I've, I have four daughters, and there are times when I look at my wife and I just shake my head and ask, what just happened? The crying is a lot sometimes. But I'm not the most emotional person, so the crying is hard for me. And even more so when I don't understand why they are crying. But now, now is not the time to phone it in. Now is the season we must be ready. So you look at that co-worker and you realize, this is my opportunity to share the gospel. This is God bringing someone into my life so that I have an opportunity to glorify him. It doesn't always have to be someone in tears. And if I had my choice, it would rather not be. But are we looking for the openings to share the word? Do we ask leading questions to get us to a point that we can preach the word? Or do we let the opportunity just pass us by because we just don't feel like it? This is what Paul was talking about when he said, in season and out. Good days and bad. Obvious and hidden chances. Do we look to stay ready to preach the word? Are we ready in every situation, in every moment to preach Christ? To take the lead? Here I am, Lord, send me. Now the question becomes, how? How do we preach the word? What does this look like? Paul answers this by telling us that we are to reprove, rebuke, and extort with complete patience and teaching. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says it like this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. Be patient with them all. To reprove someone is to convict them with the suggestion of shame. In the Greek, it means to show someone they are guilty. It is almost like when you were younger and you had that parent look at you. Uh, for something you did wrong and told you they were disappointed in you. It's a way of saying to someone that they messed up and they're better than that. It's when you hear the dreaded phrase, I am disappointed in you. It's a way of telling someone they can do better without the harsh tongue lashing. This is accountability without breaking them. To rebuke, on the other hand, is like a finger to the chest. It actually means to warn someone. It's like being told, if you don't stop hurting your brother, I'm going to whip, and you know what comes next. <laughs> it's the scolding that you get for really being disobedient to your parents and sneaking out of the house. Your mom was up drinking a cup of coffee in the kitchen table to greet you when you came back home, and then the rebuke began, hypothetically speaking, of course, not that it's ever happened. And then to exhort is to comfort someone or to come alongside them and help 
pull them through by means of teaching and education of God's word. An example would be sitting down with someone and showing them where in the word that, of God that they've been lacking, wisdom, and why. Pointing them to God and encouraging them to continue to remain faithful. Paul is telling Timothy to hold other believers accountable through these methods, using the wisdom and word of God to do so, and to understand when to use these different methods. That's very important. We should know what to use and when to use it. Now we come to the why of remaining faithful to the ministry of God's word. Verses 3 and 4 are telling us that the reason is because people will wander off from the faith and stop listening to the truth. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What he's trying to tell Timothy is that people will stop listening to the word because they will no longer be able to bear the truth. God's word is convicting. God's word exposes our sins and our complete inability to reconcile our sin. It points us to the only one who is in control and the only one who can take away that sin debt and make us right with God, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did this because he loves us. He did this because, his only, because only his blood could take away our sin. Only he could pay that price. We have all sinned against God and deserve hell, but Jesus died on the cross so that we might be forgiven by his grace through faith in him. This is a hard thing to hear. This forces us to admit our guilt before the Lord and that we are completely helpless and lack control over our lives. Our flesh hates this. It causes us to be proud and to justify ourselves, but in the end, it is pride that keeps us from God. You see, their pride will get the best of them as well, and they will go looking for someone who will instead tell them what they want to hear. They will go find someone who will tell them they're good or give them the okay to continue in their sin. Have you ever asked for advice from someone, but in reality, you weren't really asking for advice at all? Really, what you were trying to do is find someone who will tell you what you think, want, or feel like doing is okay. You already have the answer you want. You just want somebody else to say it's okay. You want validation, not advice. That's what Paul is saying here in this verse. They will go and find for themselves feel-good preachers that will tell them they can have their best life now. That if they just have enough faith, God will give it to them. And if they don't get it, it's because they just weren't faithful enough. And by the way, I'm sure you've heard this before, but if this is my best life now, I am really scared because that is a good indication of where I'm headed when I die. Or the best lie is that if you give me money, God is going to bless you by returning it to you tenfold. They have just reduced God to a genie in a bottle. Rub the lamp and poof, your wish is my command. They don't want a savior. They want a servant. They want to be God instead, and they will go find someone who will tell them it's okay. You see, the truth of God's word is the only thing we can 
we can use to combat these liars and false teachers. God's word exposes their lies and holds individuals accountable for their actions. Paul ends with verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul is again charging Timothy as to what his responsibility is. He is to be sober-minded. This is not Paul telling Timothy not to go get drunk, although I'm sure he would agree that's probably not what he should be doing. The Greek word is actually translated to mean self-controlled and vigilant. Again, he's reminding Timothy to be ready and watchful, as if he is standing guard. Keep your eyes open and on the lookout, because the attacks will come. To endure suffering means to bear the hardships that are going to come his way. He is reminding them, he was reminding him that to be a believer means to suffer for the cause of Christ. Indeed, all who deserve to live a guided life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12 We are going to suffer in this life if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we should expect it and be ready for it. The world hates God. And if we are his child, they will hate us too. Especially if we are trying to preach the word. To do the work of an evangelist means just that. Tell others about Christ. We are missionaries for the gospel. How could you ever keep the good news of Christ to yourself? Get up and get out there and start telling everyone you see about the saving act of love Christ performed for you. You cannot be a believer if you are not willing to be around others who do not know Christ so that you can share the gospel with them. Too often I see people who are not willing to interact with anyone who is not saved. And I think to myself, how much must you hate someone or hate your God to ignore them and willingly let them burn in hell without ever trying to tell them what Christ has done on the cross? You must really think you're something special if you're not willing to let the unsaved stain your life with their presence. You cannot preach the word to the lost if you never interact with them. Lastly, Timothy is told to fulfill his ministry. This is what I would call the mic drop. One last time, he drives it home. Fulfill your ministry. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't quit. No matter what, no matter when, no matter how, finish the race. We are given a job to do, and we are expected by God himself to get the job done. No excuses, no regrets. So as Paul sits this, under the starlit sky waiting for his turn to give everything for the cause of Christ, he writes out this letter to Timothy as a letter from war. He has finished the race well and remained faithful. He has done everything at all times to preach the word. He can stand before God and know he has kept the faith. And now he is calling on Timothy to follow his lead. Stay faithful to the Lord. Stay faithful to the word. Stay faithful to your calling. Stay faithful to your mission. Don't let the world destroy you. You will suffer and you will have trouble. But stay faithful, because he is faithful. Know that when we stand before God, we will give account of our lives. 
We will answer for all we have done. And more importantly, we will answer for all we have not. We are called to preach the word, every one of us. There will be those who stray and wander from the truth. There will be those who search to deceive others. There will be those who look to hear what makes them feel good. But we are to remain faithful to the word. Study the word, share the gospel, and finish the race. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time we got to spend here in your word. I pray that if there's anyone out there today who is feeling a calling to know you and accept you, I pray that you will lay it on their heart to find someone here today to help walk them through what it means to be a believer in Christ. We pray for those who are lost. We pray that you give us the strength and courage to continue and to fight the good fight and finish the race. We pray that you give us the strength to preach the word. Give us courage. Help us to do the right thing in season out. I thank you for everything you've done for us, Lord. I thank you for this glorious day. And I pray that every breath we take will honor you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.